This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, wheat versus iron, love versus hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country, a league of Jacksons and Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. Welcome to the 55-yard line here with Scott and Greg, where we are delighted to be talking today with Canadian football legend, two-time Grey Cup champion, author, and Hall of Famer, Matt Dunnigan. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's just fun talking, talking football. And uh, we are so close on the precipice of starting the 2021 season. And uh, everybody involved with our our uh, historic league is uh, chomping at the bit. We've been like caged lions um, tr- waiting for this. And thank goodness we're going to have an opportunity to talk about and do what we love to do. And that's play football, Canadian Football League, cover it, talk about it, and put it out there for everybody to enjoy. Well, Greg and I, we're both, you know, history goobs, especially when it comes to the CFL and we're probably not going to ask you anything you haven't been asked before, but one thing I've always been curious about, you know, you grow up, whether it's youth football, high school football, college football, you play by American rule. Then the first time you get to Canadian camp, you know, you got one more player, one less down. I was just wondering for you, what was the, the biggest adjustment you had to make in terms of the rule change? And, and were there any in particular that actually maybe benefited your style of game more so than the American game? I'm not, first of all, I don't know if I had a style of game. Yeah. <laughs> but I can, you know, growing up in, in Dallas uh, and playing in the mid 70s high school football in the Dallas area and this 13 4 8, you know, we, uh, it was pretty, it was highly competitive, you know, and Dallas Cowboys were all around me um, growing up in Dallas. Uh, we're two and a half blocks away from the Dallas Cowboy practice field. So uh, I was highly influenced by the Cowboy organization and dumpster diving, got Walt Garrison's cleats still to this day, you know, just just uh, really influenced by wanting to play in Irving, you know, in the old stadium, play for Cowboys, you know, and wanted to play, in, you know, in the state of Texas. And 
well, as we well know, I didn't work out. You know, I, I went to Louisiana Tech, and then uh, after four years there, I found my way in, in, to the Canadian Football League. When I went there, boy, it was it was a eye opener, right? Because you th- you feel like, oh man, I'm gonna go play professional football. You got no idea, you know. You, you show up and you're sixth on the depth chart, and it's like, man, they only keep two quarterbacks up here too. So you know, we better hump it. And so I, I put my nose to the grindstone and uh, figured it out and just. I didn't want to disappoint people back in the States. And I was representing what I felt was everybody that supported me all those years coming up there. And I got to figure it out and, and, and make it work. And uh, it was tough task to your question. Uh, there are so many crazy rules that, you know, you're just scratching your head and it's like, wow, it's going to take some time. So I dove into the playbook. You know, I know there's some people out there in the streets running around enjoying their new so-called fame. Uh, I was staying in the dorms, writing plays down, going over my playbook, just trying to understand, get ready for concentration period in the morning. And uh, that was that was something that we had to stand out there at 6.15 in the morning. And, you know, I'm looking at these guys that smell like a brewery, you know, in the huddle, you know, <laughs> and my old men, you know, and I'm like, holy smokes, where am I, you know, and I'm trying to figure it out and verbalize a play and call a play and walk to the line of scrimmage. And everybody goes from left right down. The coach calls out a front and the defense. And, and, uh, and you got to say your responsibility in front of everybody. It's a pretty cool process, but it was one that forced you to, uh, to uh, be on point. And as a quarterback, uh, you know, that's extremely important. And, you know, you don't want to fail in front of people and, you got to know what the heck you're doing and what everybody else is doing. And before you can even start talking offensive football, we had to know the defenses in their entirety. And that comes into year two with me. In the first year, I was just trying to make the team and showing I had some skill set to uh, back up one of the greatest of all time. And uh, so I, uh, I, I put, like I said, I, I went to work and I treated it that way. And I can tell you uh, that concentration period by Pete Catella, our new head coach in 1983, as Hugh Campbell had moved on, um, I, I believed, I want to say he was with USFL. He went down there. And, uh, I, and, and I think one of Hugh's biggest reasons was he, you know, it was his baby, that five in a row Great Cup championship Edmonton team. And uh, all those guys are still there. And Hugh knew that the writing might be on the wall for this team. And I can tell you that, you know, he left, I think, in anticipation of having to say goodbye to a lot of those great players that he had had so many good times and success with. And I can t- and uh, Pete Catella came in with this concentration period that I'm telling you about in the morning. It really helped the quarterback uh, go through the process and, 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 forced you to dive into just the X's and O's on the offensive side of football. But uh, I would say the biggest rule change that was most difficult to deal with, um, just the space alone. You, you probably talked about on your, sh- on your show, 65 yards wide and 100 yards long. And from the left hash to the right hash, or left hash to the right down is just 41 yards in of itself. So if I'm throwing a 12-yard out or a corner route, you know, that ball's got to be roped you know, 45, 50 yards. And then if I'm throwing a corner, uh, you know, depending on whatever you, you know, ball you're looking to throw, you know, that that's traveling at least that length, if not further. 
and then you start stretching it down the football field and there's a lot of field to cover and sometimes it's got to get there with touch and sometimes so timing is extremely important sometimes it's got to get there um in a hurry um so just and just understanding just how difficult or different it was with just angles and the amount of time the ball's in the air and just timing it itself. And speaking of time, you go to the 22nd clock and your whole, and you only have three downs instead of four. So you get this opportunity to kick it to can to move the chains and keep the drive going. And your time's basically, uh, you know, quicker than you've ever dealt with in the, in, in the entire history of football. Um, it's 20 seconds goes pretty quickly. So communication is extremely important. The unlimited motion, uh, just the mindset of going out there and 10 every time you take the field and just, and just trying to uh, put all those things together. And uh, you know, fortunately for me, I was able to earn a spot in 83 and uh, Cliff Olander took his job and, uh, and it was, uh, it was unique because guys, you have to understand back then the coaching staff really wasn't making the changes and, on the football team, it was the players that, that were running that football team and uh, the veterans that, that were there. And there was only two new faces from the 82 Great Cup championship team, the fifth in a row, to the 83 club that took the field. There's only two changes. And that was myself and Blake Dermott, who went on to play 15 years, a local Canadian center who had a tremendous career and uh, is involved with the Edmonton Elks right now. I can tell you that uh, it's, we felt privileged and honored to be the two guys to make the club that year. And uh, I, you know, I, I didn't do much. I think I threw 26 passes my rookie year. I charted 501 of Warren Moon's passes, you know, and I had pom-poms <laughs> and I was cheering every day for him. You know, I was just trying, still trying to absorb differences in the nuances of the game with the limited reps that I had and I would I'm, I'm going through I'm going through uh, practice and uh, I'm running Skelly or team for the opposition and I'm just stop I'm just stop and it's like you know because kept towns you know a potter or somebody be like they way ahead of me right and they're like calling out where the play is going before and I just stop so what are you looking at how are you connecting those dots? What are we tipping off here? You know, and and, uh, and those guys were looking me sideways. It's like, who is this crazy son of a gun from Texas? You know, and and uh, and but I was trying to learn, absorb, extract information every way I could. And uh, Picatello's concentration period in the morning, writing plays down at night, not going out chasing the cat, running the streets. You know, just staying focused and, tr- and watching the warrant, asking these veterans and these unbelievable football players and people what they're doing and learning from them. I extracted as much information as I could to try to dial in. The fact of the matter is it took me probably another six years to figure out that game, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. Before, before I felt like I could go out there like Rambo and just ready for anything and say, bring it, you know? And uh, so uh, it was a, it was a, it was a crazy start, you know, never been to Canada. You know, roll out there and land in the airport, feel like you landed in Red Deer, and you know, drive like an hour, you know, um, north to get to the city. And then when you roll up into the city, it's just gorgeous, you know, and there's this river through it in the front of it, and 
the backdrop is the big city downtown. It's just a gorgeous place. And I fell in love with it, fell in love with the league. And here we are 38 years later, and I'm still involved with it, talking to you guys. How about the weather? Did you fall in love with the cold weather? <laughs> oh, it's right there. I'm fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, is, um, that, that was different, you know, but. Yeah, I could. I, 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 I yeah, no, I, I, I imagine going from Dallas to Edmonton and, you yeah. know, imagine that first winter. Yeah, was. yeah. I mean, we got to get to that, though. You had a lot of time to appreciate the long summer day that, that Canada has, too, right? And I think it's God's way of offsetting the brutal cold that they have during the winter. And it, is, it gives, it gives us Canadians during the summer um, some really long days. And it's like, the sun's coming up at five and it's, and it's not going down to like 1030 at night, you know? And um, so you've got long day. You can start barbecuing at nine o'clock at night. You still got an hour and a half of daylight. <laughs> it's pretty good. So you, you learn how to enjoy those days. And you're not sitting around on your butt, um, you know, waiting for stuff to happen. Uh, you go out and make it happen. You, you take advantage of beautiful days. Um, and during, then during the winter, you can't sit around, you know, you got to figure out ways to be active and it's not going to happen. You know, uh, if you're waiting for it to happen, you got to go make it happen. And I, that's a really cool thing about Canadians. And I think how they're kind of weaned and brought up and taught and their approach to life is, man, when it's nice out, they're not, they're out, you know, they're at the parks and they're out enjoying it all day long. And then, and then uh, during the winter, you know, you, you, you find yourself walking. It's minus 20 degrees. Yeah, Eskimo, a parka on this. And uh, you walk in here. I remember going to Mike Kelly's, a good friend of mine. It came up later in my life, uh, in my career. And I godfathered his daughter, Lindsay Rose. And uh, I remember going to Mike's when I was in Winnipeg. And this is kind of proof in the pudding of how people do things. There. They're not waiting. They're making stuff happen. I was, I took on that full mentality, and I'm going to Mike's, walking like three quarters of a mile just for something to do, and it's minus twenty, and I'm like Nanook, and I've got I can't even see any anything, you know, uh, as I'm walking to this place, and it's me beers whatnot in my pockets as I can stuff in there, and so I'm kind of it's like I'm weighted down to getting a workout in. Knock on his door, you know, he's like, who the heck is here? You know, it's like blizzard out. <laughs> it's like, what's that? And then people just get out and do that stuff all the time. And I love the mentality. I took that on and took the best of every city I played in and enjoyed Canada over the years. But for that game, got to figure it out. I was pretty lucky in 1984, y'all. Steve Goldman, uh, offense coordinator, came in. And uh, Steve came from Temple. And, uh, and success there. And I didn't know him from anything. He put myself um, and then eventually uh, Damon Allen and Tracy Ham uh, and Henry Burris, who he coached at Temple. So four Hall of Famers, he put through the his way of teaching and gave us an opportunity to extract <clears throat> the right way to do going about facing – uh, all the different <clears throat> problems you have and things going on in the Canadian Football League. And Steve 
was real unique. We were all blessed to have him in our lives because he prepped us. And uh, like I was telling you earlier, in the concentration period, Pete could tell, I can tell you that Steve demanded us to understand every aspect of defensive football and everybody's responsibilities on that side of the football. And uh, before we can even start talking offensive strategy, schemes, and formations, and why we're doing things, it's important to understand why you're trying to, what you're attacking. So front stunts, coverages in the back ends, you name it, we're up on the board drawing it and learning defense like we're playing on that side of the ball. And uh, and then, then we would do things offensively, completely different game plan. Um, we'd have to go up there and draw a play that we liked against this defense and tell everybody why in the room. And so now you're, you're coaching and uh, you're strategizing and you're scheming and uh, you're creating space and understanding pre-snap motion dictates the defense and how you connect the dots before the ball's in your hand post-snap. And so uh, we all got a taste of that and we're given that opportunity and it's amazing, amazing approach because back then, 1984, Jackie Parker becomes our head coach. Pete Cattell is gone. Steve's on our staff. He's teaching me this and, uh, and how to go about it. And it benefited me for the next 13 years of my career because I took that approach and was able to call my own plays 13 out of the 14 years I played in Canada because of it. And uh, that's when – and if you have the right people um, that are, uh, you know, coaching you and working with you because it, it's, it's – it's, uh, it's a pretty cool opportunity. It'll get your pee hot in a hurry when you got to call your own plays. And, you know, it's the <laughs> second year of your pro career and you're taking over for a legend and Warren Moon and a team that is, was considered the best ever. And, uh, yeah, it got your attention. So all those nuances of the game and all those little tiny things, it's like you're focused and you're working a job and you're layering your knowledge of and, and ability to excel. Once, once the whistle blows and, uh, well, I, I think you would get the same answer, I believe from Damon, Tracy and Henry about Steve Goldman and how much his preparation benefited us and propped us up to have the hall of fame careers we did. Yeah. It's just amazing to think, you know, like in your situation, you know, you're, you're following a hall of famer, you're at a team that has such a great culture of winning. Yeah. And then I can only imagine what you must have felt like the first time that 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 job was yours. And so basically, yeah. the, you know, the team was yours. I mean, that that had to be one of the coolest feelings that you could possibly imagine as a competitor. Um, well, I never felt like it was mine. I just felt like the responsibility of where that team was going was mine. And uh, um, you never really feel comfortable. You talk any quarterback going just finish training camp in the CFL right now or in the National Football League as they opened theirs up a couple of days or yesterday. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you can never be complacent um, I, I, unless you're Aaron Rodgers. You know? <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, that, that guy, that guy, um, I mean, he's he talks the talk and he walks the walk, right? And uh, that, just watching him interview <laughs> before training camp, Started the other day, I just like choked on myself. He's like, hey, that guy um, really doesn't care right now. But uh, I didn't have that feeling, you know. I 
and he does care. Don't don't get me wrong. Um, I get that. He he uh, <clears throat> he's focused and he's giving himself to that football team. And I, I was trying to do, and it's the only quarterback in the league's trying to do now is they finish training camps is is a respect the opportunity and uh, and to give it your best. And that's going to take every ounce you know of your of, of energy that you have to give to it in order to to hopefully give it to somebody um, better than when you found it. And I knew I had big shoes to fill. And I remember the answer when I got asked this question, I think it was Cam Cole or Terry Jones. Um, those guys uh, said, so what's it feel like to replace uh, <coughs> uh, 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 a hall, uh, one of the all-time greats, Warren Moon, and uh, fill his shoes? And I said, well, I, pretty sure Warren took his shoes with him, you know, and I got a pair here, so I'm just going to wear mine and figure it out and go from there. And uh, so I'm not feeling issues. I'm wearing mine and playing my game. And it took me a while to figure that out. But, uh, I um, I never once felt like I was safe or like I had. It was my job. I'd prove it every day, every play and practice. And uh, you can ask anybody whether it was a preseason game or whether we were going through practice. Uh, yeah, I was full speed. I felt like that's the way I was taught. I was taught that way in Dallas. <clears throat> um, and it's no good going through the motions uh, because the game is so much timing and uh, tempo and rhythm that you're just pissing away effort um, and energy if you're not hitting it 100%. That was my approach. And so uh, I was motivated. I was always motivated, and that was that continued for 14 years, no matter where I was playing or what uniform I put on, because uh, I always took that approach, respected the game, and uh, never felt comfortable like something was mine. It's not. I'm just. I'm just uh, here, paying it forward, trying to leave in a better place than when I came and earn a living, obviously. Uh, but uh, with that approach, I think uh, the best of any possible situation is going to happen for you take that approach and it you know your career was so long I mean I think one of the keys to your long career has been your relationship with your teammates mm -hmm. your line your receivers um how was your relationship with with your teammates over the years in terms of camaraderie after practice that's what it's all about right and um it, it to me it's I mean, I'll, Again, I was I just been talking about this recently. I'm good. We, my wife and I moved to Destin here a couple of years ago, and we've got some new friends. And they don't know any of the stories about us, <clears throat> our past, and sharing some. Recently, we're talking about uh, Tucci's Gay Palace, and uh, have you ever heard of that? <laughs> All right. Well, not many people have, but yeah, that. Edmonton team that I'm speak of that five in a row great cup championship team. They had all kinds of traditions and ways about, you know, making the mundane six week training camps um, go by. And they had a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of fun. So I cut my teeth in that environment. I remember that. Uh, I mean, that first day of training camp is a rookie. You know, you got Dan Kepley, uh, Dale Potter, Tommy Towns, Tom Tuane, Finnell, you know, just David Boone. These guys just coming in, just 
attacking you during stretch and kept it takes, you know, typically people are representing their universities, you know, that they played for. And once you come up to Edmonton, they teach in a hurry. You're not in university anymore, boy. And they, they rough you up a bit, you know, but, but, you know, biting your ears and kept it rips off your hat little button that goes on the top of the hats, you know, baseball caps. They'll bite that out, spit it out, throw it back at you. It's like, that was my favorite Terry Bradshaw signed, you know, baseball cap. It's like, what the hell are you doing, <laughs> man? And, uh, and, you know, it was this, and so that was just kind of like an indicator of, all right, this is a little different here. You know, these, these old dudes are just out of their minds. And they're bored. You know, just because they win, you know, and they're just they're just playing all the time. And after practice, we'd get up and the team would invite uh, one or two rookies up to this little party area, Concordia College, uh, that we called Tucci's Gate Palace. And it was Angelo Santucci and uh, had nothing to do with his sexual preference or anything. Um, uh, he was he was that's what we called that's what they called it. I learned about it and uh, we so they'd invite one or two rookies every day after after practice up to the palace and uh, all hell broke loose up there and you learned all kinds of new uh, uh, ways to <clears throat> relax and uh, <laughs> enjoy training camp but it was like a full-fledged bar up there and the only the only thing that that uh, Cutler and Lissick had to do was um, make sure the coolers were filled with beer and that everything was set for Tommy. That's little margarita um, area over in the corner and that whatever else was looked after. We go up there and play pool um, and relax after practice. And, and if you had a chance to get up there, you learned a lot about traditions what happens? Uh, they've got a little twelve-foot taped with athletic tape square next to the pool table, and if you happen to step in that square, you now have to dance with Angelo Santucci and and, and the song, and uh, and but and you have to wear your insulation hat too. And uh, <laughs> it was like, what's it, what's an insulation hat? Well, it, it, it's a hat that's made out of insulation. You put it on, it's got a big piece of three-foot insulation on top of it, and wrapped around it and taped, and you got to wear the insulation hat. People, well, what the hell is an insulation hat? Well, I guess Tooch had a little too much to drink one day, and he couldn't say insubordination. And so he said insulation. <laughs> and so they made an insulation hat. And so now you're dancing, you're up there and you're a rookie, you're trying to learn a foreign game, you know, you have no idea what's going on. You're six on the depth chart, you're dancing with Angelo Santucci in a 12 foot, 12 inch square, you know, next to the pool table, Tucci's Gay Palace, wearing an insulation hat. You know, it's like, okay, these guys know how to have a good time. And uh, then right before, right before meetings, everybody that's up there, they fly down to the mess hall and, uh, grab something to eat and go, and go to meetings. Yeah, that's how they rolled back then. Yeah. It sounds like, a North, sounds like a North Dallas 40 sequel almost. Well, that's just it. You know, you talk about your players and the relationships, and that's what it's all about. And, uh, you know, like I said, I was fortunate to make that team and learn from those guys how they do it off the field as well as on the field. That carried over with me for the next five teams that I played with. And uh, – 
and I always kept them watered down and fed. And uh, I didn't want my big boys up front paying for much. And uh, no matter what, you know, I was making $42,000 my first year, or, you know, um, with, it was actually 50. And, um, and uh, because I had a couple bonuses in there. And then my first year starting, I made less than that. So my infinite wisdom in negotiating contracts, Norm Kimball, back with my father, back when we first signed with Edmonton, that's, that's the contract we negotiated for us. You go from team to team and, uh, <clears throat> and you take the mentality of, I don't care if I got a diamond, I'm, I'm, these guys aren't paying for anything. I'm, I'm going to water the big boys down. And uh, you do. And, you know, it's just, you, you, you drink, you, you, you look after them, you bond, and it's a lot easier to go out there and lay it on the line when stuff's not going properly, you know. And, and, and you, you don't have to look left or right to know who's and what their mentality. You know that those guys got your back. And, uh, and it's just it's a, it's a bonded and something that I always felt like I, knew, I wanted to do. It's part of me. It's who I was. Uh, I remember one of my favorite quotes from Kenny Staber's book was he studied his playbook by the light of the jukebox. And I uh, absolutely love that saying because there are many times where um, he took care of business, you know, and your spots. And uh, But, yeah, we were out having a good time and enjoying each other's company, bonding. Uh, but it's all about those relationships because when you can't be worried about what the guy that lefty is doing, or the guy that right is doing, you got to trust and know who they are when it's coming, when it's getting down to the wire, all hell can loose. And so you want to be focused on the enemy. And uh, that's a good way about going and, and getting it done right there. One thing I've noticed over the years, and, and maybe this is a case of just someone from the outside looking in, but it seems like, uh, CFL players, CFL teams have more of a relationship with fans in the city than you see maybe in the NFL. I mean, it seems like y'all truly had a real kinship with your fans. And I'm just wondering if that was, you know, the the case with you with all the, the stops you made over the years in Canada. No question. Um, yeah. When you sign on a, on a contract in the, in the football league, you better understand that you're going to work both on and off the football field. And it's just a way, it's just a type of player that I think um, is, is, uh, is formed and, and signs on up there because um, it's really not, you're not, you're not going to get rich playing the Canadian football league. Um, and it's about extending your career. Yeah. Making a living, you know, but it's, it's not an exorbitant amount of money. Um, it is, uh, it's all about, those relationships and putting fannies and seats and getting out there and being involved in the community and paying it forward and giving back. And, uh, you know, that when you sign on the dotted line, we sign a contract with any club up there. If not, you're going to learn about it because you're going to be asked to get out there in the community and, and put yourself out there. And I think the majority of the guys that go up there understand and are, are willing and certainly capable and just genuine people that are blue collar just want to go play and and give back and when you start developing some of those relationships and and understanding what it's all about um yeah it, it's it's at the end of the day what drives that you know and um 
<clears throat> you get all kinds of accolades over the years and, and recognition for what you did on the football field. But I can honestly say the Tom Pate award that I received in 1989 when I was BC Lion um, was my most prestigious award that has ever been bestowed to me. And um, it was because it recognized what I did off the field and, um, and in the community. And it's, it's like the NFL man of the year, um, that type of, you know, that type of status. And the Tom Pate award is, is that type of status in Canada. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it's to me, that's, that's as real day as long right there when you when you when you're on that level and you're doing that consistently over the course of your career and like I said earlier making the place better off you know uh, when you leave it than when you found it so that's that's all the guys up there and it is they're the fans are a part of your life and um, I think that's why there's so much excitement right now uh, Scott when it comes to <clears throat> putting bodies in seats again and getting the fans and the players connected because there's a real synergy there, a real energy there. Um, and it's tangible that uh, you feel uh, from day one. It's not <clears throat> um, we're up here and the fans are down here. We're hand in hand moving forward, trying to uh, enjoy this league and the game we all love. Well, I'm just so glad it's back because, I mean, you know, last year, and, and you could really tell when you talked to, to actual, you know, Canadian fans, there was a real sense of loss when oh, that season wasn't there. Yeah, absolutely. No question. Um, look, this is the longest, oldest professional football league in the, in the world. And, uh, and the connection to the fans and, passed on generation to generation and just the traditions are, are, are phenomenal. We all understand the traditions that we have here in the States. Just imagine that being another 50 years or so older, you know, than, than, uh, than what they've established here. Uh, that's, it's, uh, that's why we, it's, we couldn't have a season last year because we, 65% of our revenues generated from fans in the stands. And, uh, we got 35 million people in Canada and 350 million people in the United States. It's relative, right? You got nine teams as opposed to 30. It's, and it's, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's what makes us work, you know, and uh, it makes the CFL click is that connection and that tangible feeling of, of uh, the fans being able to interact freely with the players and vice versa. It's, it's really cool. And, there was a big sense of loss last year, and and uh, from from the fans' perspective as well as coaches, players, everybody works the stadiums, and it was just it was devastating. And as whether it's a truncated season now, it starts you know coming this Thursday. Uh, it's it's going to be good to see that connection and that relationship fired up again. Yeah, the impact you got, the players, the, you know, all the players have on other people, on the fans, and you see it. And I know I'm hopeful for kind of a renaissance with the CFL this year, even with a truncated season. How are you feeling with, with the coming season in terms of, well, we know from what I understand, Saskatchewan is sold out for, for the home yeah. opener. Have you heard anything up there in terms of some of the other teams in terms of how ticket sales are going, um, what the feeling yeah, is up there. province to province, um, 
the rules change, um, the government restrictions, uh, the percentage of people they're allowing in the stands. And it's, it's been one, I, I would say, fairly good news story after the next, you know, uh, with, with 15,000 available, you know, to sit in Molson Percival Stadium in Montreal, um, Winnipeg's full capacity, which you got to be vaccinated. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of stuff and restrictions that are constantly <clears throat> up, moving up and down and governing each province and what teams can do. Uh, so, but it's, for the most part, it's been positive um, for, for, uh, for CFNs and for us moving forward. Um, it is, uh, it's a constant understanding that from one day to the next, it could be, it could change. And, uh, you know, so that's why Milt Steagles in Atlanta and I'm in, you know, at my home, um, broadcasting remotely for the first month, month of the season. Um, and, uh, hopefully we'll be up there for Labor Day. Uh, but don't know, uh, but excited to put in the effort towards doing what we've got to do to make it happen, whether, whether at the park, you know, or in the studio or from our homes. We'll do what we've got to do to, to uh, make this work and give the CFL fans a product that they can be proud of and, uh, and a platform they can talk about it. Well, I know Greg wants to look future, and I do too, but I've got to ask you. I've, I read Going Deep, which I loved. Okay. Um, the fajita story. That is just the thing when, when Bruce McDowell and you and Rocket Ishmael were, were at the okay. restaurant. For some reason, that's just hilarious. I was wondering if you could just kind of kind of share that with people that might not be familiar with it. Well, not many people are because you had to be there. And, um, you know, I read the book and uh, my recollection and my memory. You know, 96, I left the game due to concussions and post-concussion syndrome. And that was just five weeks into that season that my career is over with. And that was after the 95 season. So it was 96. I'm in Hamilton now. And boom, my life changed completely. And my chest, my armor was split wide open. I felt exposed as a warrior, as a football player for the first time in my life. And I knew it was over. So I'd been dealing with that. So now I'm writing this book, you know, um, uh, basically 10 years later with, May he rest in peace. Jim Taylor, one of the, the best author in Canada when it comes to sports stories. And, um, yeah, so Jim and I piecemealed that together, you know, in my banged-up memory. And and uh, even 10 years later, to this day, I get symptoms. But <clears throat> here and there, the story in L.A., we're whining and dining at Ragged Ishmael, the Bruce McNall, John Candy Wayne Gretzky ownership group in 1991. We've flown to Vegas in a Learjet and land on a strip. And Lemo picks us up, whips us right down to Vegas. And, uh, you know, boom, we're slapped wads of money in our hands. And then people scatter and go into the different casinos. And you're rolling in with John Candy and Roger Bishmiel and, you know, entourage of people behind you. And I'm going, like, what is going on? You know, I'm used to, you're talking about a blue collar guy that, you know, um, fighting for new pair of socks from the equipment manager, you know, and, and uh, whether it's Dwayne Mandrusiak or, or 
Cato or Danny Webb. Or, I mean, it's just the way it was. And now we're, we're, being, we're being treated like kings. You know, this is a completely different experience. And we do the Vegas thing. We get back in the plane and fly to L.A. and hold up in a beautiful, beautiful hotel. And next thing I know, we're in a Rolls and we're cruising down to the hot spots. And we pull up to this restaurant. I don't remember the name. It was like the in vogue uh, place to be. I had no idea. We rolling in there and it's probably like 12 of us. And we sit down at a table and uh, boy, people are, the whole restaurant's looking at us. And, um, you know, it's like, okay. They recognized Robin or Bruce. Bruce was the guy. I mean, ladies would lose their shit over Bruce walking down the street, you know, and it's not, and uh, I'm thinking, wow, you know, because Bruce is not really a looker, you know, but uh, they knew who he was and they loved some, some Bruce McDonald in LA because he owned the Kings and um, was really a mood shaker and, and it was the hottest thing going at the time. We were in a rocket. And uh, we start to order, and Roger's sitting across from me. And uh, I'm thinking fajitas. And, like, yeah, it's just, dude. and uh, so they start taking our order. The owner of the place does. He's this, no wait, just a waiter waiting on us. This is the owner looking after us because this is white glove treatment now for this group of people that I'm now associated with, hanging out with, and just 48 hours or 72 hours, whatever it was. And uh, and we said, yeah, we're, we're going to take fajitas. I think both Roger and I got fajitas. And uh, he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, we don't, we don't have tortillas. And uh, I, I, looked, I looked at Roger, uh, Roger, and I kind of winked at him. And uh, it was like we both got up, pushed, pushed ourselves away. For, and uh, we're like, there's no way we're out of here. And we started taking steps towards leaving the restaurant and the guy loses his mind and says, no 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 and basically forces us to sit back down and he says we will get you tortillas and uh so he bolted out the front door and i know he went down to the local um shop and picked up some tortillas grocery store and i uh, came back and we ate fajitas that day and that's just kind of the impact that <clears throat> bruce had i guess you know gretzky and 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 uh, candy and raga Ishmael and that's the kind of respect they had. You know, owners running around grabbing your tortillas for your fajitas because <laughs> you ordered them at the restaurant. They didn't want to disappoint. You know, it was one of those things where I just we had a good time with it. Um, we, we had some good stories, you know, from from that trip and some mind-boggling stories. Uh, walking down Rodeo Drive and Bruce saying, "Yeah, I want you to get something for yourselves." You know, <clears throat> right when I go on whatever and um where he parks his rolls in a no parking area he said bruce is parking no nah, don't worry about it yeah i'm okay and as like, he gets out and ladies are just losing it they're like bumping into you know, light posts you know looking at bruce and you know trying to figure out is that him or not we roll into this place where he likes to buy suits and it was like uh a pretty woman um and uh, the owner were like that. People came out of woodwork, and next thing you know, there's like seven guys attending to Mr. McNall. And all he did was he went through this little chart of different variations of the 
or black or the black and he picked out like seven different shades of black and and uh that was it and he bought like seven suits and i'm not going to tell you how much they were they were just like seven different shades black <clears throat> and uh it was like it was, it was out of a movie I, I went to versace and uh bought something for my wife i got her a pair of leggings a pair of shoes and a top and um that was that was and had a hefty bill to it, right? And Bruce was like, ah, no problem. You know, and it's like when Ragan went to some, it was like a Gap store down there. And um, I don't know how, how he did it, but he, he had three or four bags full of stuff when he came out of there. It was an um, interesting time, right? Interesting time because we're blue collar up there. And it was Hollywood came to Toronto in 1991. And that storybook season, it was just phenomenal because that young man, uh, Rog of Ishmael, uh, he was put under the spotlight pretty good at a young age. He's 21 years old, and he's being asked to basically resurrect a team, a city, a league, and fill it with, uh, you know, and, and showcase his abilities. And we were able to do that in 91. And uh, on the account of the way Rog handled himself, handled himself, it was this kid that whatever we go, just like in, in, in L.A. That, that one day at that restaurant, focus was on him. And uh, there would be a horde of reporters around Rogan. And you had a cast of all-stars and phenomenal football players that had no pressures of you know, media or anything like that. Rogan was answering all the questions and taking all the – energy that comes with uh handling the media and we just went out there and played football and he basically blocked for us that whole year and of course you know the story we win we win everything in, in winnipeg in the coldest game in the history of the league and gray cup and uh we we win it <clears throat> and uh it's just a euphoric season and the crazy time you look back on it and you got to pinch yourself did that really happen like at that restaurant, did that just really happen? That guy just loses stuff because he didn't have tortillas for our fajitas. It was like, yeah, that happened. And um, it's, you shake your head thinking about it. Being able to write that with Jim in a book, you know, an experience like that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good to capture those things because hell, my, my memory, you know, if I, if I didn't read it, it's gone. You know, I don't remember a play in my career, you know, um, uh, I remember feelings, you know, and, and I can watch a video and, and, uh, said, okay, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. And, uh, I, it, the hard thing is with me fellas is, 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 is understanding whether or not that is residual effects from post-concussion syndrome or is that, um, you know, just getting old. You know, you don't know, but uh, a combination of both right now, that's where I'm, that's what I'm depending on just for my sanity is, is just riding off the both. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a heck of a memory. And it's always good to revisit those. I had, I'm really glad I had a chance to put them down into, into a book uh, with Jim Taylor, who I have the most respect for. Really glad I did that because it does capture I think, the essence of the CFL. Um, my, uh, my approach to the game and, and life in general. Uh, life is short. Go out there and make it happen. And uh, thank God I had a chance to start in 83 
learn all those things and understand Canadians and how they attacked life and, and, and fit, fit me like a glove, which you needed a lot of them up there because it was freaking cold. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so much great stuff in the book, but obviously mm-hmm. being a Birmingham native and someone who covered mm-hmm. the Birmingham Barracudas in, in 95, I was really interested with or interested in, and how you thought that they failed at marketing, especially with the Southern teams then. And, I, and you make some great points in the book about, you know, play on Thursday night, then you don't compete yeah. with the NFL in college. But then, you know, the Barracudas were playing so many games on Sunday and, and things went south pretty quickly attendance-wise. Well, yeah, as, as, as soon as the college football season opened up, uh, you know, we were already through our <clears throat> budget for marketing um, and it had – and we were trying to fight the system. Um, Friday nights, foot, high school football, Saturdays, college football, Sunday and Monday. You know, now every other day of the week is National Football League. <laughs> but at that point, Thursday was the only available time in my mind is to put your hand out for the viewing public and the people that were looking for um, entertainment and football entertainment. Uh, I think we would have position ourselves, had a TV contract, all, all the shoulda, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, all things should have been in place, but we really couldn't afford to have it in place. We just were trying to keep League afloat then and expand and see if we can't create audiences. But the people, you put them in charge and, you know, they get responsibility and they think they know what they're doing and uh, they don't. They lead you down the wrong way. By the time the college football season started, marketing – Monies have already been spent, and there's nothing else. And the owner's not willing to put uh, more money into it because there's no TV contract, and you know the things behind the scenes that are already kind of uh, they were shaky to begin with. And there was no cons- continuity or consistency, or no no rules of play for the owners from franchise to franchise. And they went out and blew the budget. And once college football season started, we couldn't compete with that. I mean, we were 30,000 plus there early on and then boom, it just turned and everybody went back to what they do and want. And, but we, cause they were used to going, watching high school football on Friday and cheering on their favorite universities and, uh, and on Saturdays, Sunday, forget about it. You know, it was, we should have been out there on Thursday night in front of everybody. Um, I'm not going to beat up the organization or the CFL or the individual teams. I just know about Birmingham and I know that the fans loved it. And the, and the, and the appetite for football in Birmingham, as you well know, is depicted on all those jerseys behind you there. The number of professional football teams and leagues that have been through there is phenomenal. And I, and <clears throat> the Birmingham people and people in the, in the South, they love football, no matter what kind. And we had them going early, you know, because we were excited. And um, we had a good football team. We went 10 and 8 that year. I missed the first two games of the regular season because I broke that knuckle right. Let me see that one right there. See how it's doubled up there? Yeah, I doubled up. Yeah, that, that was Pete. That was down here somewhere. Had that pinned together. Missed the first two games of the season. And then uh, I did it again, um, week 16, playing Edmonton at Legion Field and uh, hit Larry Ruck's helmet, ex-teammate of mine for Edmonton, and uh, broke it again, missed the remaining two. And so I was uh, fortunate to be in front of those fans for just 14 weeks. And I want to play at Legion Field and 
it was a phenomenal experience. And those fans are some of the best fans that, you know, I've been around. I was, I was proud. I was proud to go down there um, back to the States. First time in, in year 13 for me. And uh, I was, I was, I, I was an ambassador for the CFL and I was proud to go down there and introduce all our nuances and the great things about our style of game. It's too bad that we didn't have our stuff together as far as the business side of things go, because they enjoyed it. The fans enjoyed it. And uh, it, it was a, it's entertaining style of football. And they knew that. And uh, it's just sad that it only lasted a year. Uh, but those 14 games I got to play the Barracuda off on a uniform, they're playing a run and shoot. John Jenkins is our OC. Man, like, I've been under center up in the Canadian Football League. You know, I'm five, I'm vertically challenged. You know, I'm five, ten and a half. <clears throat> and uh, I'm like, this is like stealing back here. You know, when you take it out to Dunn, you know, I can see everything, you know, because Doug Flutie and I, we, we talked several times. It was the 100th Great Cup. Doug and I were watching the game in Toronto, um, sitting on the, on the, uh, uh, floor of the stage where the halftime uh, is going to be performed. And I'm talking to Doug, we're watching the game and I'm broadcasting for TSN at the time. Still am. And, you know, it's time to do Man, you know, One, we had a rivalry that really um, was, was, I thought fantastic for seven years. And uh, I remember the first time I met Doug, it was, at, uh, it was 1990. We were playing back in BC. I was with Toronto. He's now BC because I was with BC before I went to Toronto. Came back, shaking his hands, at the coin toss. And I said, Where the hell have you been? You come up out of here straight out of college. You've been prime minister by now. And he, he laughed at me. And uh, he says, Yeah. And basically, seven years he was prime minister you know he won six out of six six years out of the seven he played up there he uh he won most outstanding player because the game was made for him but doug and i sit in the end zone and hunted the gray cup on on the stage floor of the <clears throat> halftime entertainment's gonna gonna play and we won the game and uh i, I looked look at doug and we're talking and I, I i know i know why you why you drifted and out of, you know, cause he, he'd be in the gun and he'd drift, drift, drift. And, uh, and he'd plant his foot and throw off his back foot and cause he was creating vision. And uh, I told him that and he looked at me, snapped his head. He says, you know, anymore he's ever freaking got that. I said, well, dude, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you. So I know that, you know, I know what you're going through. And, uh, <laughs> it's like, you got to create vision. So when you're into the center, the quick, you know, you take a step back, you get a little more vision. Take another step back, go, you know, take another. Oh, there's a lane there, and now you're starting the gun, and you take steps back. And like Doug, he would continue to drift. You know, it was a half roll, a straight back. He continued to drift, and which created vision for him as well as space. We know there's a lot of space. Um, in the Canadian Football League, and so vision was first and foremost, and space is mobility. He's making people miss all over the place and buying time and putting pressure on back ends of defense and making plays. He he owned it up there, but yeah, it was fun to go down there and actually you know get in the run and shoot, get away from the center, and um, and go to gun. 
and realize that, that, wow, this is a completely different game back here. You know, I'm not buried up underneath trying to throw over six, eight, six, nine, you know, tackles and six, five, six, six guards and six, six center. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not tasked with that anymore. You know, my task is just manipulating defenses, pre-snap, calling plays, putting my guys in the right position, throwing the ball on top. And, uh, and that's what we did. Absolutely love that game performing for the fans down there. And, uh, and it was, it was extremely, uh, extremely, uh, it was one of the best times I had in the Canadian football league was representing the CFL to the good folks down there in Alabama. I'm still stunned at what you mentioned, uh, in the book about how you found out that the team was folding before your playoff game with San Antonio. I mean, good grief. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the week before we had thrown out, um, Kevin, um, was a third team kid, Kevin, I don't remember his last name. I'm sorry. Simmons, Simmons, Kevin Simmons. And, um, I want to say it was, I think it was glimpse of, my brain. Anyways, I, I, can, I can tell you that, uh, yeah, it was the last regular season game we're playing in San Antonio. David Archer and the club there, they had a really good team and a uh, strong team. I thought we were better, but Kelvin, Kelvin Simmons was his name. So Kelvin goes down there. We roll him out there. He's got, he's like Tracy Ham and Damon Allen rolled up in one, right? He has mobility. He's got a little savvy to him. Um, you know, a little bouncing the step, and he can, he can make some throws. And we lose a tight one to them. And then we had to go back there. We get the announcement that the league's folding prior to that game, and we roll <clears throat> we roll Kelvin back out there against them. They had film on now. You know, they kept him in the pocket. They didn't let him run free and put pressure on defenses on the back end with him creating time. He uh and. They beat the snot out of us, but, you know, we weren't in the best frame of mind going to that football game. You know, I'm standing on the sidelines watching all this happen, broken hand, and my throwing hand, and uh, it's it tough. But um wasn't the best way to go about doing it. Really not a good time to let people know that the league's folding. Uh, we've seen it happen a gazillion times since then, and uh, it's never really a good time. But uh, that, was, that was horrific, and it certainly had an outcome on how the guys went out there and played. That was tough, very tough. And do you think, in terms of, you know, following on that, fast forward, got 30 years to, and the last, you know, the XFL talk, what did you think of that in terms of? Uh, I thought it was somebody's agenda. I, I didn't think it was our, our agenda. Um, I think Randy Ambrosi, our, our, our commissioner, I think his vision of CFL 2.0, um, is is has got a lot of uh, traction, and I think that that is that is our, I think that is his focus and direction. I think the old XFL talk the last <clears throat> ten months or so um, was not our uh, message. It wasn't I think it was somebody else's directive, and uh, and so that kind of, and then so if somebody brings that up, and y'all know, it, you know, it's not always your agenda. That you you know that you have to address in press conferences, and all of a sudden you know this is happening, and uh, oh yeah yeah we are in talks with them you know and whatnot. Well maybe that jumped the gun or pushed you know the whole 
nature of the beast down the road way too far because yeah we're just talking you know but now people want to know what's going on is there traction to this and 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 before the ducks in a row and before you can even uh come to any type of decisions or conclusions whether or not this is beneficial for each league everybody's trying to figure out and have answers and you know in the world we are you know you got this news man and this guy and they're all trying to be first with the you know the, the latest way to take on things and having the scoop and that pressures people to, I think to get way ahead of themselves and like I said I don't think it was our agenda in the CFL I think it was the XFL's more so and, it, and that just kind of got some wind in its sales because of the dynamic of the business and people trying to be first and, and put information out there and people are getting into pissing matches about you know the CFL and the XFL and we don't need that and, you know God, it was uh it was not good, you know, and, you know, sometimes they say, I know it's been said, you know, any news is good news. And I don't, I don't think it was very good. Yeah. Uh, I just, but not our agenda. I think it was somebody else's more so than ours. You'd mentioned the, the 2.0, um, you know, that the commissioner's uh, been a part of here for a couple of years. What do you think, the CFL can do, I guess, as an organization to help more fans in the seats, you know, to help promote the game a little more, because I, I like that idea too. I mean, I like the fact that he was uh, looking globally and, and the fact that he was just trying to sort of spread the footprint of the CFL as much as he could. I thought that was a great idea. Well, and, and it's still something that's happening now. There's 39 other professional football leagues out there, you know, other than the National Football League and CFL. A lot of people don't know that. That's a lot of football leagues out there. And um, so we've got offices set up out there. And this is one of those scenarios where I think that, uh, um, you know, trying to get eyes to your game, trying to find ways to um, uh, maximize exposure and monetize it. And um, I think this, I think, and now we've got international players a quota for each team, you know, because we deal with the ratio in the Canadian Football League and every roster, and it seems like that's changing all the time. But we do do deal with the with the Canadian American ratio, or national or import, as they call it now. And now they call it international is another category, and so they have international players um, that are required to be on each roster, so that if if you have a, a Mexican uh, ball player on a team, um, you've got all of a sudden possibly four or five, six million more people watching a game than you typically would. And, uh, and that goes with all the other professional leagues around uh, the world that CFL and Randy and Brogy are leagues tapped into. And uh, we're inviting these, we have combines over there now and, and having drafts. And, and uh, it's interesting to watch this develop. Um, but it's always something that the CFL has had was a ratio. Just they made room for international player now. It's 2.0 and to get more eyes to our game and to introduce it to more people. And I think that's probably the best way uh, is, is the, uh, the broadening our scope of reach is, is the 2.0 and what we're doing there. I think it's unique. Now, are some of these guys, um, are they able to play? Well, I mean, we haven't found many that are regulars and make an impact on our roster, but yet there's such a 
new task and new endeavor that Randy and the league has undertaken. Uh, it, it takes time to develop that, right? And and you know, when you practice roster players and guys are being put there and they're learning and they're seeing how to be what level of fitness, strength, speed, all the nuances of the game. You know, they're learning these things. And um, so the foundation is laid and I think it's a good one. And uh, <clears throat> I think it's, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before you start seeing players contributing on a, on a, on a higher scale and a bigger scale, a grander scale of uh, when, when the lights are on, which is going to be good for everybody because it gets you excited. I mean, it's like watching Olympics now, you know, you see all these uh, watch parties, you know, and people watching games, no different watching college football on Saturdays and professional football in the States and Sunday, Monday nights and going here and involved in this fantasy league and all of that. It's just, we're broadening our scope and that's the way we're doing it. And uh, I, I can just see all these watch parties happening as soon as you start getting these players um, on the football field, because it creates excitement, just like we're seeing with the Olympics. It's just exciting to watch all these people going crazy and, it's tearjerker, you know, and, you know, guys are, women are winning medals and families in the background watching them and they're connecting them because nobody's allowed to be there watching them, supporting them. It's completely different. So that's the way it's going to have to work out for CFL 2.0. I think it's a good thing. And I think that can be done. We've learned anything in this pandemic is, you know, we're always changing to reinvent the wheel and how to do business differently. And I think we're in the right direction with the 2.0. And I apologize if I accidentally hit the mute button, but like you were, uh, like you were saying, you know, expanding that footprint to with the 2.0, I know in my house, all my wife's Japanese and the fact that there are two Japanese players on at least two different CFL teams means she might actually watch a football game with me. So That's it's uh, the idea. It, That's, yeah. And, and, uh, it's, and just get fan engagement somehow. And, uh, you know, with single game betting, you know, um, being you know, certificates and licenses haven't been handed out, but it's been approved in Canada. And that's a $14 billion illegal business right now, let alone legalize that and give people an opportunity to, uh, to start wagering prop bets, whatever else, and over and unders and just start betting on, on, on sports in Canada. Uh, it's going to engage people. It's a way of form of engagement. And 2.0 is the same way. Get people interested in it. You know, fantasy football, betting, um, and, you know, international, player, you know, made the team, you know. And, uh, it's, and when, when that happens, when a player makes a play, um, an international player makes a play in a game, I mean, <clears throat> as broadcasters, one, we're recognizing it, right? Because one, wow, you know, that was either a crazy hit or tremendous play. And, and two, you're, you're harping, harping on the fact that that's an international player and that's 2.0. And this kid is from Australia, you know, and, um, and it's, it's, uh, and now all of a sudden you got everybody over there jacked up about, you know, our game. And uh, it's, it, it's just another way to engage them, whether it's, Single game betting, you know, which is around the corner in Canada and uh, fantasy football, which we know how that engages people, you know, it's like, cause anybody can play with anybody. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that, you know, you, that foot 
our fantasy football is, is, is a lot of fun and it engages a lot of people. And when it's the third game of a triple header and the third game is started on the West coast at 10 o'clock and it's one o'clock, you know, start in Toronto and you're in the studio and things are getting late. Um, thank God for fantasy football because that, you know, it's, it's like he keeps you engaged, man. It's like you were to the last throw, you know, or last drive, you know, don't run it, throw it. You know, it's like, you're, you're just, you're just all over it. And um, male, female, you know, old, young, doesn't matter. If you're involved in the fantasy league, it's a great way to be engaged and involved in, in, in sport. Yeah, I'm in five leagues myself, so yeah, I, uh, yeah it's, it's, you're submerged in it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You right. know, you know, you know, players, you know, moves, you know, injury lists, you know, everything about the game now, which that wasn't their part to this. You know, and I even think I've actually kind of deciphered what a passing rating is. I'm still not unclear, but you know, it, it, for the geeks, for all the football geeks out there, the math geeks, football's yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it is. Uh, there's, I mean, baseball. I think is the ultimate. You know, when it comes to stats, uh, football is really. You know, yeah, I, I think you know a, a good contender for the top spot there. But yeah, a lot of things you can you can be engaged with and ways to do it, and that's just another one. And the CFL 2.0 is engaging your wife. You know, in in our game, yeah, as uh, a example. Yeah. yeah. And the, and the other great thing too, is with, with fantasy football, it, it, it literally, I mean, for, you know, I'm 50, I just turned 54 yesterday and Congratulations. happy birthday. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. And, nice. you know, I was thinking about this yesterday as I was playing on my birthday, a simulation game, but you know, it's all these things that keeps all of us young. I mean, we're talking football here and, you know, throw out the ages on all of us. But when I sit here, when Scott and I talk football with everybody, we're back to being kids again and it brings so much joy. And, yeah. and I know, and I know, you know, I've been watching you on TV for years and I always see that joy in your face when you're yeah. talking football. So yeah. with yeah. that said, so what's the plan for TSN? You said you're going to be going remotely for about a month. And then after that is the plan to bring you up North and put you in the studio. Well, that's, that's as far as they can like really project um, and not lead us astray. Um, we're trying to give everybody understanding of what the expectations are, travel schedules, you know, just family events, whatever that you have to plan around work, you know, life goes on, but there's so many changes in what the government restrictions and protocols are always changing. And, and you know, right now things are opening up in Canada and, you know, that can change overnight, you know, with, we know that that can change very quickly. Right. So they're right. just trying to uh, uh, give us a, uh, as much as possible can. Right now, the first five weeks of the season is remote shooting. And um, there's protocols in places and there are people that will be traveling, but it'll be different, you know, because there's not right. as many flights going from Toronto to Winnipeg, you know, and um, or, you know, or Vancouver to Saskatchewan you know, um, or Regina, you know, it's just not, things have changed. And so travel, how about, you know, how, how you go about doing it? How you go about interviews, you know, um, with, you know, everything's Zoom now. Everything's doing what we're doing here. Um, 
and it changes, right? There's no, there's no interaction right now. And uh, so all these things are in place and have been in place for the NBA, NHL, um, all kinds of junior hockey and hockey events, um, golf, um, all the other sports that TSN and we cover on a regular basis, you know, in Olympics going on right now. Um, it's just things have changed. We'll, we'll find our rhythm and we're just happy to have that chance to find our rhythm. But right now um, we're just, we're just kind of on call, you know, you kind of like in the blocks ready to, you know, explode out of them any, at any time when call when the gun goes off and that's, that's kind of where we're at and we're just got to have a start on the fifth and deal with whatever restrictions and codes we have to and uh and go from there but enthusiastic regardless yeah yeah yeah, yeah. definitely well i mean thursday's approaching us real quick mm-hmm. and looking forward to seeing you on thursday night and uh and lastly, where can Matt, where can everybody find you? I know you're on social media, at least on Twitter. Um, can you let everybody know where to find you? Uh, well, I'm Sergeant Rock on Instagram. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what um, Adam Rita, my favorite coaches and people of all time, uh, head coach of our 91 championship team. Um, Adam calls me Sergeant Rock. So I'm in, on Instagram. I'm on I'm Sergeant Rock there, but uh, um, where else? Where else? I, I, I don't. I don't use Facebook anymore. Um, I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> I don't use I, it either. I think I know where you're headed. So <laughs> that's another hour and fifteen minute conversation, right? There. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I only do memes now. I'm, I'm I, I understand what you mean. I just do funny sports memes on Facebook, and that's yeah, about yeah. it. So, yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm just checking out. Um, yeah, and but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I don't know where else you'd find me. You'd find right. me at at at, uh, at done again TSN on on Twitter and uh, Instagram Sergeant Rock and. Uh, and I'm involved with, uh, um, yeah. 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 Some other, other companies and things of that nature, but I don't gotcha. want to lose that information. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. It's, that's fine. You <laughs> gave it as long as people can find you on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, that's, that's, you know, you're just like us. That's where we're, that's where we're at too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not TikTok and I like to watch that, you know? Yeah. Um, I, um and, uh, I just laugh. I smile a lot when I watch that. And it's just, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you fig- probably figured out that? TikTok more than I have. I don't even have it. So. No, no, I don't either. I just, when you go to Instagram. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Uh, then you can just click on something and it's one, you know, whatever category you, you're interested in, you know, you can just fill your boots. And uh, yeah. yeah, I just, <laughs> I was last night, I was sending stuff left, right, and center to all my kids and my wife who are back in Texas right now for my youngest son's uh, and his wife's baby shower. And I, I didn't go down. I can go back to Texas because, one, all hell's breaking loose right before the start of the season. Yeah. And uh, so they're there. But I was sending in TikTok videos from Instagram all last night. Yeah, that's what I'm at. All right, so you can look at anything you want right there, you know, yeah. and just press on one. And I, I send that stuff. 
I send that stuff to them 24 seven. It's just like, people are crazy and they're so gifted and we're all so different, you know, and it's, it's pretty cool way to, uh, you know, to accumulate information, um, share, uh, reach out, you know, and I think that's huge. And in today's day and world, you know, if you're a giver, give, you know, because we need a lot of taking going on right now. And we, we need givers to give. And, uh, you know, it's just another way to be able to do that. You see something that's inspirational, send it to somebody, and it's you know, skin off your back. It takes you two seconds, and it's a good way to communicate as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, it's just my approach, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. Your words have never been spoken. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Matt. Matt, hey. real, we really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, expected. We- you know, I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know. You know, and to, to Jim Mullen and Dave Naylor's credit, you know, I reached out to those guys. Said, "Who are these two? You know, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you I'm know, not I gonna do this. I'm not gonna mess with these guys. <laughs> yeah, me, man. I don't time to wipe my ass right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, but yeah, um, they 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 said, "Oh man, I had a lot of fun." And our mentality is, yeah, it's like it hasn't changed since. I signed a contract, my first one in 83. It's like, get out there, man. Pay it forward. Tell people about the game, you know, make them smile and uh, just make the world a better place. And Jim Mullen, Dave Nadler, and myself, you know, we're happy to be in y'all's show to, give that up, to have that opportunity to do just that. So we, we have loved, we have loved every minute of it. And we want, we're hoping to have you on again as the season progresses. Can we yeah. uh, shoot you? Yeah. At- Stay in touch, guys. Stay in touch. Awesome. Absolutely. We enjoyed it so much. Awesome. Well, Matt, we're going to sign off here and we'll talk to you here at the, on the flip side of this as we're wrapping up. Um, But yeah, again, for everybody, for Scott, myself, and for Matt Dunnigan, thank you very much for listening and hope to, uh, you'll be seeing, hearing from us again soon. We're going to be doing a few more podcasts this weekend. I'm sorry, this week. Um, on CFL history. And the next one coming up is going to be on football history in Chicago. My opinion of why the Pro Football Hall of Fame should be in Chicago with the Sports History Network's very own Joe Zimba. Thanks a lot, everybody. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We'll kick off for victory, cheer them on to the great of march. Lusty men of energy, down the field on the great of march. They'll kick off for victory, as we cheer to the great of march. Leading grid teams you will see, down the field on the great of
Escapar 